welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, a Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm joined here today with Paul Kromitas, the CEO and co-founder of Summer. Paul, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Excited to be here. Yeah, so your company, Summer, has always interests me because of its sort of unique model of getting people into short-term rental investment, of maybe opening it up to people that maybe not wouldn't have otherwise been able to find a short-term rental. Uh, so maybe start with, in some of your background, what led you to start Summer? And then if you could just explain the basics of what Summer is. Yeah, absolutely. My background uh, really spans finance, strategy, operations, product development. Um, I was at Airbnb for a while, um, most notably though. And, and I think some of Summer came from from there. When you look at the short-term rental marketplaces, most of them are quality supply start, right? The quality supply in a lot of these marketplaces rents very well and yields very well. The issue becomes, you know, and people sort of see some of the, the, the articles that are, are being written right now about the Airbnb bust and things like that, you know, kind of speaks to the value proposition in an inverse way. There is a lot of supply out there in some markets, right? Um, and it's kind of proving it there's a healthy amount of interest from a lot of folks out there at this point. Um, you know, Airbnb has been around since 08, Robo since what, 04 or so. You know, you all have come on the scene at AirDNA. Uh, you know, more and more people are catching on to, hey, this is an interesting thing happening in this space, the short-term rental space. How do I get into that? How do I learn more about that? Maybe I'll just buy a place and, you know, put some furniture in and see if it rents. And it's a little more difficult, as you, as you know, as well than, than that. And, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, there's a there's a there's a strong ability to see through that and see into the market and be able to create value and find the right homes and create the right aesthetic in that home that rents really well and obviously get folks to you know participate in that transaction and earn some money in that transaction. We just we want to help them see around those corners, right? And I think that's really where it came from. Of these marketplaces like Airbnb and Verbo are quality supply starved. There is a group of people out there. You know, we really focus on sort of like the middle, middle, upper class, you know, uh, obviously customers who you know, have a little bit of disposable income to think about buying a, a second home or a vacation home or an investment property, you know, and, and, and helping them see around that corner and helping them get into the home, figure out which home's right for them and, and stand up that, that quality supply. that's going to rent really well. Uh, we take a lot of pride in that. So that, that's really where it came from, acknowledging that there is a lack of that. We want to help create more of that. Uh, and that's, that's what we're really focusing on. And so... And hearing that you were at Airbnb, uh, and I think you were part of the Airbnb Lux team, is that right? I was. Yes. So is that sort of you? You had that firsthand view of that there is the potential to maybe brand uh, listings with additional quality, get in and let consumers know that, and if it if it has this name on it, that you can expect, and that is that something that. And is core to what you're trying to do with Summer? 100%. I, I think there's definitely, there were, there were learnings from that experience that I'm applying today. Besides just the, you know, the, the, the need for more supply in those platforms that is quality, right? And you, know, you, you see it yourself when you go on these platforms. You know, it, it's, it's basic human psychology that if you see, any pricing model will tell you this. If you see a home that's listing for $400 a night with 500 five-star reviews. It's got the super host badge. It's got all the amenities you'd love to see in a short-term rental. It's got professional photography, lighting's great, all of that. 
And then you see someone down the road or the town over for $300 a night and it's $100 cheaper a night, but you know, maybe there's like 10 reviews or five reviews and you know, not all of them are great. And uh, the photography is not that great. It's a little crooked, like grainy iPhone pictures or something like that, right? Um, you know, most people are going to be geared towards paying a little bit more for that quality and that surety of the experience that they're getting, right? And I think one of the things that I apply from the experience that I had at Airbnb Lux and just kind of thinking about how they think through their tiering on that platform and some of the pricing models that they've had. You know, the luxury tier is very interesting. You see a lot of price inelasticity given that, you know, in economic downturns and, and upswings, that customer is less impacted than others. But there is lower volume on that rental, right? Uh, when we look at when we looked at that at Airbnb Lux, um, you know, you're really you're looking at a Cabo villa that's eight bedrooms, right? And uh, it's renting for like 5K a night. The, the, the TAM of that marketplace, uh, the, the amount of people who are renting that home for 5K a night is not large globally, right? They are a, they have a lot of money that they're price inelastic, but they, they are not a large group. And I think one of the, uh, so you see the opportunity to really create great margins in the asset, right? You can command a very high premium on a nightly basis, but the issue comes in not a ton of bookings at a gross level. And I think where that runs into some difficulty is, uh, if someone decides at a whim that they're not going to, you know, you, you get eight bookings a year and that covers your your costs and more and gets you into the green, uh, and they decide they're not going to go that year and then they go somewhere else, uh, you're kind of uh, all of a sudden find yourself very quickly because that TAM is not super large on the booking side. So I, I think one of the things I really thought through was, you know, being in a different type of asset, right? We see the opportunity to create value, but not everyone needs a $2,000 a night massive home, eight bedrooms, everything, bells and whistles, right? Most of our stays uh, as a gross population are very nice homes that have you know, certain amenities you think through, great quality linens, all the cutlery and kitchenware you'd want, a great view, uh, a common area that you can entertain guests that you may be traveling with or your family, right? These are the things that we look for in the hallmarks of great rentals. And then you can add some things like, hey, you know, in in a desert location like Palm Springs, you, you probably want a pool, right? Uh, or in a uh, mountain area like Colorado, a sauna or, 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 or a hot tub is going to perform very well and help you maybe squeeze out a little bit more. But these are the things that most people that we really target. Again, we are targeting sort of that average customer, the mass affluent, so to speak. Those are the things that people look for. And that's what the supply we're really trying to create and the, um, the owners that we're really trying to help or the buyers that we're really trying to help become owners. Yeah. And it's something that we've seen in the data the past, I mean, you look back at through time and then just what, how it's changed in these past couple of years is luxury properties always generate the lowest occupancy. But we've also seen that the biggest increase in occupancy during the pandemic actually came from the luxury end of people turning to short-term rentals, wanting that sort of experience, wanting that privacy. And broadly, it's, it's holding today. Though we are seeing it sort of spread out where it was maybe more domestic focused is, is getting more international again. So you talked some about homeowners, some about guests, and I suspect that you've got two different customer segments. You're attracting guests to the properties and you're attracting homeowners to summer. So maybe and talk a little bit about the homeownership side and what is the business model? How are you connecting with homeowners? How are you getting... What are they connecting with you to do? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I, I think as I jump in, you're, you're exactly right. We do have two customers, uh, which doesn't always make my life easy as a uh, entrepreneur starting a business. Having two is 
a little harder than having just one, but uh, I think it creates a lot of opportunity because the, the grand scheme of this company, as we grow in scale, it's really, you know, the Venn diagram of the folks who are buying these homes and the folks who are consistently renting these homes uh, is not that far apart. And it becomes more and more overlapping, especially as we scale. So, so let me explain a little bit about how we think about that. We really go after and target, uh, like I said, this, this customer who's looking to get into this, uh, this purchase. They want a vacation home, something to spend some time in um, and really want to uh, get into it and understand the economics of it, understand how it feels to go there, right? Maybe they, you know, I'm sitting in New York City, maybe they've gone to the Catskills or the Hudson Valley a couple of times and they are interested and they like to stay, but uh, you know, they, they want to see how it is to drive up there you know, twice a month for six months a year and, and, and really get to know an area. It's a little different than you know, just taking a vacation one or two times. You understand how far the grocery store is, how far off the highway it is, whether the driveway slants weird and creates ice in the winter, right? Some of those little small things. And I think folks are drawn to us for the ability to help see around the corner. So we'll basically, you know, when we get a customer who comes to us and says they'd like to, you know, dig in with summer, you know, the first thing we'll do is connect you with our broker partner in that market. We partner with some of the brokerages throughout the country that you've probably known and heard of, um, some of the best in each of those markets. And, and we really try to source the right inventory for our customers. So we're shopping, our broker partners are, are shopping with you. You're welcome to send a home that may fit the parameters to us, but our, our broker partners typically, you know, they're boots in the ground. They're not employees of, of the business, but they're partners of the business. They know that they know the market very well. They can find off-market listings, or pocket listings, et cetera. Um, where we really take it from there is with every single one of the homes that uh, we are showing you, those homes are coming uh, pre-evaluated and we're creating term sheets on these properties. And that's where really where the new innovation, I think on the data and technology side comes in with our platform. We try to get a, a good pulse for where that market or not just that market, but that home in particular could go into the future. We try to layer in seasonality. Uh, obviously we work very closely with uh, folks over at AirDNA and yourself, Jamie, on, 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 on kind of getting that up and running. But you know, being able to leverage some of the data sets and, and, and technology that you all have created to help us combine that with what we're able to get from MLS and, and other sources really gives us a solid sort of, and obviously layering in what we can do to the asset itself, because there's a, there's an element of like, okay, well, this is the asset in its entirety right now. Maybe it needs some work, maybe it doesn't. Uh, and here's what we think we can do. The summarization, uh, it's a little play on words as we call it, or the summer effect <laughs> of how we can improve the asset. What can we do to make it look better and yield better and, and et cetera. And that's some interesting stuff that I, we, we did a little bit of research in my time at Airbnb as well, right? Like what are the little things you can do? Stainless steel appliances perform very well. You know, you probably all know all this as well over at AirDNA, Jamie, but you know, what are the things we can do to make that asset better? And each of our homes comes with term sheets on a specific asset. So this home on this block you know, base bull and bear case scenario is going to do this, right? It's, we try to give you that parameter up front for what we estimate this home is going to do. And this home down the street might do something different, right? The base bull and bear case on that are going to be a little different. And each asset is a little different. We try to get help people see around the corner there. And eventually, I think it's been very successful because, you know, what this customer is really looking for is the risk aversion. They want to sort of see around the corner. They want someone to tell them like, hey, I'm not buying a lemon here right? Like I'm not going to step into this thing and realize I'm losing hundreds and thousands of dollars every year. Uh, most of our customers also aren't looking to potentially make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on the short-term rental side, but they're perfectly happy breaking even or lowering their costs or making a little bit even uh, as well. And we just try to guide them to the right asset based on what they're looking for. 
So once they've sort of decided that or, or decided with us, that this is what I want to go after. We have you know two options to go out and, and buy the home and finance the purchase. The first of which is called gradual ownership. That's an interesting model. Uh, it's essentially it's new, it's innovative. I, I don't think anyone's really done anything like this in this in this space. Um, it's sort of an aspect of trying it before you're able to actually buy it outright. So we will actually go out and place the offer. We'll work with you on it, but we will buy the home. Summer, the company will buy the home ourselves, uh, and you will put up. 20% of the purchase price, uh, like most folks would put up in a traditional purchase, even though in this asset class, a lot of folks maybe get 25 or 30% because uh, it's maybe a second mortgage. So we're, we're, it's already a pretty good deal right off the bat. 20% into the home uh, as a deposit, first initial payment up front, and then we buy the rest. At that point, you also pay to go to the home a flat monthly fee that equals your usage of the property. So if, Jamie, we were going to do this, let's say, you tell me, oh, I'm going to go between you know 14 to 40 days a year, 40 to 60 or 60 to 90. We don't need a hard and fast number. We just need a ballpark because clearly your pricing is going to vary if you're staying 14 days in the home versus 120. We basically price you out. Uh, if you tell me 40 days, let's say, we'll price you out on 40 days cost uh, of what it would take to stay in that home via Airbnb or short-term or any short-term rental site. That's the cost of a night uh, for 40 days on average and multiply that by 12 months and that's, or divide that out by 12 months, I should say. And that's what you end up paying on a monthly basis. So you pay for what you use. You get to go to the home whenever you want for that amount of time with no blackout dates and, and you have right of first refusal. That's what's different than any anyone else who sort of come before here. Like you can go on Christmas, you can go on 4th of July, you can go on the week where your kids have school break, whatever it may be. There's no like dancing around other people there. When you're not in the home, I will rent out the home summer on Airbnb, on Verbo, and on our own platform, we've actually spun up direct to customer short-term rentals on our end as well. You have up to two years to decide if you'd like to buy the home back from us using the 20% you put down up front and half of all of the monthly payments that you made until that point, whether that's one month in, six months in, 12 months in, but up to 24 months in, we add that up to the purchase price, or sorry, we add that up to the 20% and reduce your purchase price by that much. Now, it's interesting there, by the way, and most people realize this after they dig in, even if your monthly payment's something like eight or nine hundred dollars a month, you know most folks when they do the math, they kind of realize that that monthly payment, if they're earning you know fifty percent back on a you know eight hundred or a thousand dollar a month monthly payment, that can turn out to be more value that you're building into the home than a traditional thirty year mortgage. The first few years, you're paying very uh, very little principal and mostly interest, right? So I think some of our more savvy customers have tapped in and realized, hey, I can have the opportunity to maybe create a little more value for myself here on those monthly payments as well. If you don't want to buy the home, at the end of the two years, you can walk away penalty-free with your 20% in full at that point. We will, however, keep the entirety of your monthly payments that you've made until that point, because again, that is what you would have spent on an Airbnb or any short-term rental for 30 or 40 days, right? So you're no worse for your wear. You get to basically take a vacation and upsize that into buying a home or, or, or not. The key thing is that during the rent to own period here, during the trial period here for you, you get to go whenever you want to go. And I rent it out and summer rents it out and makes the entirety of the short-term rental income during this trial period. That's how I cover operating expenses, debt service on the home. Cause we bought this home for you, right? You're not paying interest. We are, uh, and make a profit. It is also a proven to be a conversion tool for, for folks to date, right? Like Jamie, if we bought this home and you're paying, you know, $800 a month to go to it and 
you're seeing that. And every month you're getting a notification about how the home's performing. You realize we're not just telling you, Jamie, this is a good home to buy. It's going to return something like this. We're actually showing it to you before you even make the final purchase decision to buy it. Right. So it's proven to be, I think, take the risk out of the equation for some of these people all the while they are feeling, uh, you know, somewhat of an emotional attachment to these assets as well, which I think is, is, is part of it. They're looking at it as a home they want to spend some time in. Um, and whenever you do decide to buy the home, whether that is any point during the two years, at the end of the two years or up front, that is what our other model is, immediate ownership, just you buying it up front. That is when it is a revenue sharing agreement between us and you. So whenever you're the deed owner, we share in the profits uh, in a management agreement at that point. Um, so we've, you know, I think we've tried to craft something that hopefully works uh, for our customers to feel secure entering into the purchase and feel good about the actual purchase of the home and kind of see around the corner before they, you know, fully sign on to the dotted line. But but obviously makes them uh, feel like they are coming into something that that is theirs in some way, shape, or form as well. Yeah. So I know a bunch of questions, <laughs> <laughs> and and just starting with I know and it's got to be a piece of of running a successful property, especially at the high end, the type of customers that you're going after that the FF and E, the furnishings, the and making it look nice, the design has got to be a big part of that. Is that sort of rolled into the purchase price of like here's here's the cost of the home and getting it up and running? So what's very interesting, yeah, it's a great it's a great point, Jamie. Um, when we are buying the home with you on the gradual model, yes, we will come with a sort of prescriptiveness on what we think the home needs from a you know capex as we call it in the vernacular of the industry and FF and E perspective to the furniture and any improvements we might want to make, right? Like, Hey, maybe this home needs more work than you think it does as the customer, or, uh, we'll try to advise on that. We might say, look, maybe you'll bring us a home that needs like, you know, $200,000 of work. And we might say, you know what, Jamie, this isn't the right one for these reasons. And I think, but that's part of the value, right? We're helping folks trying to see around that. And um, you guys are going to have some skin in the game on like, if exactly. you walk away, this is a exactly. home that we want, we, we, we need to be comfortable buying from you. And that's the key part of it, right? And I think that's, uh, you know, a lot of folks will bring us homes and, and we'll say, hey, you know what, this is a great home. There are a lot of great homes folks bring us. And I'm like, you know, I, I personally, Summer, cannot be the owner of this home. We can't buy this home because we have a very, very strict criteria for what we want to be underwriting ourselves and obviously buying on our books uh, with our lenders. But, you know, that doesn't mean it's not a good asset. And that's exactly what the, the track of immediate ownership is for. We can support you in that purchase. We can still help guide you to an asset that makes sense. We can actually advise. Uh, so in the gradual model, yes, the CapEx and ff &E is rolled in. On the immediate side, we have a pretty interesting um, model where we're basically helping you bring the home up to a standard that we think is going to rent really well as the deed owner yourself. So if you bring us a home and that home, um, you know, we think it's a good home and you think it's a good home, uh, we'll advise you and say, Jamie, this home needs $40,000 and that's new furniture, uh, bathroom renovation, maybe a hot tub because it's the mountains and we think you should do that. Now it's your home, right? So we'd like you to do that, but that's also contingent on you bringing it to our platform. We do have a quality bar on this platform. We are trying to create a network of summer properties that all have a certain quality bar that all rent really well, that all have positive effects. Going back to what we were talking about before, creating that network effect of people staying in our properties, not as homeowners, but just as short-term renters, having great experiences in different markets and going back to the summer homes repetitively creates more value for people who want to bring us their homes to potentially look to improve and add to our network as owners, right? If you own a home right now, 
we can bring that home up to the summer standard of bringing on our platform. And you could see the network effects of being associated with our platform. And it also gets people who are you know, continuously renting these homes. Well, guess what? You should apply some of that spend towards just being a homeowner on this platform in some way, shape or form. So we will actually help folks improve these assets up front in the immediate ownership model with some of our own money as well. And we will bake that up by charging more on the management fee on the back end of all of that. So that's, I think, been a creative way in which we've helped some of our immediate membership customers uh, improve their homes, but also obviously uh, be compensated for our capital going into improving your home. And obviously our customers feel good about that because they feel like, hey, some are skins in the game on this home too. Some are invested you know, 15K out of the 40K budget that they prescribed on this home. They're, they're certainly going to want to rent this thing out and they're getting a you know 45% uh, take rate on the nightly rate, which is up from the standard. Uh, and you know we, they want to rent this out just as badly as I do, right? Yeah. So, and does that mean there is like a, a management agreement that goes along with, I'm assuming every purchase that you do a summer? Correct. Yes. Actually, that that's that's a great point. You'll be signing that with us, uh, you know, in the gradual and uh, immediate models. Uh, in the immediate model, obviously, that management agreement kicks in right up front. Uh, in the gradual model, you know, we do look to after you buy the home back, like if you buy the home back from us six months in, we like to keep you in that management agreement at that point for you know one to three years post purchase. And then who's shouldering the risk in, in this environment, like with housing prices, they went up 50%, now they're down a bit. Like if I go into that gradual homeownership model, like what happens if the house loses 50% of its value during that period or even 10%? Like, is that risk shared? Well, fortunately, we haven't uh, had to deal with that. I think uh, we try to stimmy that top of funnel, right? I, I, I think the... The quick and easy answer is uh, that risk is not shared. Uh, we, we take on that risk, right? But that's not really the risk that I think we this business underwrites to, right? The thing that we really embrace is, and I guess what makes us different than any sort of technology, real estate company that's come before us in this sense is, you know, I'm sure I'm buying homes and I'm using, uh, you know, that facility to do that, not putting, you know, sort of equity capital into the homes myself per se from the business. But what's clean about it and what makes sense about it is that I am underwriting to the potential rental income and the cash flow of the home. I'm not purely banking on making my money back in a buy, hold and flip scenario, nor should I what I think or want the customer to in that sense, right? So if we don't feel like the home is a blue chip, five star, going to just rent very well asset and our criteria again like i said before is pretty high we will tell you that up front and we will say you know jamie this this one isn't right for us to buy ourselves because we are shouldering that risk right that's why the total bar is pretty high and i assume too you're you're choosing your markets carefully so exactly. how do you guys go about choosing which markets you're actually you you want to be operating in yeah that that's the key right uh because i don't Truthfully, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't, the ups and downs of the housing market are not something I want to be underwriting the risk of the business to. I, I underwrite really the rentability on the assets. Um, we start there. That's exactly where we start. So, you know, we sort of think about big metro areas throughout the country, New York, DC, Atlanta, et cetera, right? And, and, and when you target those customers, it becomes fairly obvious very quickly where those folks in those markets want to buy, right? I'm sitting in New York, a lot of people want to buy in the Hamptons, they want to buy it. Jersey Shore, the Poconos, Upstate, Catskills, Hudson Valley, right? You can sort of rattle them off. Every every city throughout the country has those places. You kind of start there and you think about acquiring a customer. And then, you know, pretty quickly, I, I think about it in a bit of like a pyramid, right? The, the base layer of the pyramid 
is almost table stakes, short-term rental legality, right? Um, you can't be entering a market where there's uh, short-term rental restrictions or it is illegal to operate. Uh, no one wants to be on, uh, operating in a business illegally. No one wants to be advising a customer to go do an illegal Airbnb or stand up an illegal short-term rental. That's table stakes, right? So we kind of just parse out the markets that are both legal from a short-term rental perspective, as well as see uh, very strong revenue from a short-term rental perspective, right? Then I think once you've kind of gotten that, you take it to the next level, which is, okay, well, where are people looking to buy and transact, right? And you can take it in a number of different directions there. There's a lot of data that's out there around transactions, sale volume, time on market, et cetera, in these places that see strong short-term rental effects, right? Uh, the analogy I give all the time, again, this is a very local analogy, but I know this market very well. I sit in New York City. I'm not trying to buy a home in Bergen County or Fairfield County, these places that are mainly commuter towns, right? Or Westchester, uh, where people are buying their primary residences, taking trains in New York every day, et cetera. Uh, you want to be in places that see a strong turnover uh, from the vacation side. You also don't want to be in markets where there's tons of supply just flooding the market. Again, I, I think quality always rents, even in markets where there's a lot of supply but it certainly makes the competition a little bit harder. Uh, and then I think the last piece becomes after sort of the short-term rental side and then that demand, and then you have the customer demand of the transaction, uh, the last piece really comes around you know, operational capacity, right? One of the things you're getting with us is the ability to kind of off, so offload all of your management. We take care of that. And, and I think this is an interesting point that always gets lost on most customers. And our base management fee is 25%. Um, a lot of competitive managers at scale will claim to take less than that, um, but you have to dig into what they're actually offering. Some of them, it's like 15%, but that's just pricing alone, right? You're still finding the cleaner and the person, like the actual hard work of it, right? Others, it's, uh, you know, maybe more, but they're offloading this or they're not doing that. You know, ours is pretty full service. Uh, and I, I think we have to have a degree of, you know, theoretical density in that market when we want to get in there and make sure that, you know, uh, we can get in there and operate a few homes in that area as we get folks really uh, working to make sure the homes are managed very well. Is it hard to access that market? Um, you know, is it going to see uh, sort of the peaks and troughs of seasonality, et cetera? So those are just some of the things we think about as we get into new markets out there. So how many markets are you guys in now? We are, well, good question. Uh, we are officially in six markets, but that number is changing very quickly. Uh, we uh, just secured a, a new round of funding and uh, are very excited to uh, expand and push forward now to a whole swath of new markets throughout the country. Uh, we're very regional before. We really focused on a New York Northeast buyer. Uh, again, that's, you know, we, we had launched a company and sort of, you know, initially getting out there to a buyer and a customer base we knew very well. You know, most folks throughout the country now will start to hear more and more about us uh, as we get out there and push out there into new markets and into new areas. So we're very excited for that push here in the near future. So we're coming up to the end and I want to get to some, if you're game for it, some rapid fire data uh, questions. You're, okay. You're game? I'm game. So one, I'd start with an easy one. Beach versus mountain. Ah, beach. Love it. I love both the beach. What's your favorite metric to look at? There's so many. On the rental side, I will oftentimes just have rent, average rent versus occupancy just teed up right next to each other when you're giving into a market. You can't look at one without the other. What's your favorite market to vacation in? Does it have to be domestic? Nope. 
Uh, my favorite one. I'm I'm gonna tip off a lot of people to this one, so maybe I shouldn't mention it, but I will anyway. Uh, I am a huge fan of the Italian Dolomites, the Italian Alps. Uh, I've managed to be lucky enough to go over a decade ago for my first trip, and I've been up ever since. Which market do you think has the best opportunity for short-term rental investment today? Of the ones we've been in thus far, uh, definitely the Hudson Valley and the Catskills. I, I think you see a great intersection of sort of entry-level purchase price for most folks. Uh, it's not, you know, a lot of folks in New York will kind of tee up the Hamptons versus that. And obviously the entry-level price point is very different for a similar sort of middle, middle upper tier asset. Uh, but the rental demand is, is, is still pretty high. So I think we see a, a lot of opportunity in that market. In terms of others that we're looking at in the future, there are a lot of pockets of Florida sort of off the path, not necessarily Miami where we, we, we really like. We like, uh, you know, the sort of the Clearwater Gulf Coast uh, area. We like the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, there's areas in Arizona that are great. But I think we, there's a lot of opportunities at, throughout the country in a model like this and in this space. That's, I think, why we're all very excited about it. And finally, where can people find you in, in summer? Definitely. Uh, you can check us out at www.gosummer.com. Uh, and you can follow us uh, on Twitter, Instagram, all the social media channels out there at, at Start Summering. Uh, and feel free to reach out. We'd love to have you as a member on the platform. Great. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Yeah, look forward to future discussions in the future. Thank you.